0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the 60 feet, 6 inches LSU podcast. As always, thank you for joining me. In this episode, I will review LSU's top 10 SEC series showdown versus South Carolina. And while the weather ended up canceling game three of this great college baseball series, there were still plenty of intrigue and questions to be answered as LSU splits the series on the road versus the Gamecocks. I'm going to go over each of the two games. What were the three big things that I learned from the weekend? How did my get right, stay right list produce? And then finally, the SEC rundown. As always, you can find the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and all the other major audio platforms. If you're viewing this on the YouTube channel, please make sure to subscribe so don't miss out on any of the content throughout the season. And on Twitter, as always, the accountant is at 60FT6INLSUPOD. Once again, that's at 60FT6INLSUPOD. If y'all missed the last episode, I was joined by South Carolina insider AJ Sessions as we previewed the LSU versus South Carolina series. And as always, that podcast is on the YouTube channel and linked on my Twitter account as well. So let's get into it. There's a ton to get into today. LSU splits the series as both teams tried to dodge the rain, but ultimately the decision was made to cancel game three, and LSU comes home with a series split versus the number six ranked Gamecocks in Columbia, South Carolina. This puts LSU at 26-5 on the season, 7-4 in the SEC, having faced four top 25 teams and three top 10 teams in a row, with potentially a fourth due in Alec Box Stadium this weekend in Kentucky, although that may look a little bit dicey after what Georgia just did to Kentucky today. So let's get into the first game, which was on Thursday. LSU drops the series opener, 13-5. When you look at the pitchers, it was a great matchup to look forward to. He had Paul Skeens on one side, the best pitcher in the country, and then you had uh, Will Sanders going for South Carolina. But the weather had a lot to say about this matchup as the game enters a lightning delay in the fourth inning, and subsequently both starting pitchers got pulled. But at that time, South Carolina was up 3-1. to To me, Skeens looked great again. Skeens goes three innings pitched, two hits, three runs, two earned, and eight strikeouts. So eight of his nine outs were by strikeout. LSU starts off the game with an error by Thompson, and it was kind of a, it almost felt like it was a bad omen, right? South Carolina is a tough place to play. Founders Park was packed. But then uh, Skeens gets an out. Then he gives up a two-run home run to freshman phenom Ethan Petrie on a 3-1 fastball. As Petrie gets the barrel out and absolutely smokes it, that kid is probably going to be the national freshman of the year. He's hitting around 450 with 17 bombs or something like that. And he's just, he's a big kid, and he can really swing the bat with a very good eye as well. And then uh, Skeen gives up a solo shot to Wimmer on a 1-0 fastball. So both hitters count as those guys get the barrel out on fastballs. But that was it. He blew South Carolina's hitters away after those two guys. Besides those two hits, he gave up absolutely nothing. And that was the most runs that Skeen had Skeens had given up all year in the start. And it was actually almost half of his total runs given up uh, in 2023 up to that point. But if you're saying you didn't think he threw well, what if I told you this? What if I told you instead of three innings, this is what Paul Skeen's line looked like. You ready? Skeen's goes seven innings pitched, four hits, three runs, two earned, no walks, one walk, two walks, whatever it is, but 14 Ks. Now how do you feel about that outing against the number six ranked team in their home park? That's dominant. That's potential SEC pitcher of the week type stuff. If LSU gets that win, I mean, he was his stuff. I mean, it looked great to me. I mean, he had the slider working. He may not have had the command with his fastball working, but uh, I have it on very good authority. My boy texted me after that game that one. Skeens was pissed after that outing and the lightning delay because he wanted to go back out there and get after those guys. And I think Kentucky has got something bad coming for him on Thursday night. I just don't think they're going to be ready because I think Skeens is pissed. He's a competitor. It's a bad taste in his mouth coming home from South Carolina like that. And the Wildcats, uh, they better get ready because I just don't think they're going to be a handle what Skeens is throwing at those guys on Thursday night. But look, after the lightning delay, it got ugly. Um, as Dutton rolls out there, then the freshman, uh, Micah Bucknam rolls out there, then Helmers finished off the game, and it just kind of got out of hand. And to me, I saw a lot of people in my timeline talking about how, you know, Jay Johnson gave up. He quit. He threw the game. But this is what I think he did. I think Jay decided that he's going to roll these guys out there. But if and when LSU gets the lead, he will do something different with the bullpen arms. And with a double header on the horizon, he thought, I don't want to lose, but if we lose, it's going to be okay. Cause I got all of my bullpen best pitchers. All my bullets are still left in the bullpen to go after to that double header. That was supposed to happen on Friday, almost a, uh, it's okay if we end up losing the battle, but I want to win the war mentality. So I don't see it as quitting or giving up. I just think it was more of a business decision. But I guarantee you this, if LSU ends up taking that lead, say like in the 6th or 7th, you probably see um, Cooper or Edwards for sure as they try to close that sucker out. But until then, until he, if he saw the LSU hitters could handle the South Carolina relievers, which they couldn't, LSU did absolutely nothing from a hitting standpoint, then he wasn't going to waste arms. And I'm completely uh, in line with that decision by Jay Johnson. When you look at the hitters, I thought they hit Sanders well in the first inning. But after that, nothing happened. It wasn't a great game or a great look for those guys. The two bright spots were Thompson and Beloso. And that was it. Thompson drove in Beloso in the second inning. And then nothing else happened until a Thompson two-run home run in the seventh. Followed that up by Beloso, who hit the two-run bomb in the eighth. And it was really a bad display. Um, just not great at bats by the LSU hitters versus the South Carolina pin. And we knew going in, they had plenty of arms. And they threw out two guys who silenced the LSU bats as South Carolina just runs away with it. Now, when you move on to Friday, it was supposed to be a doubleheader as the game was moved up to 11 o'clock Central Time. And LSU comes from behind in a kind of true Tiger fashion, right? As we've seen them do numerous times this year to grab a very important win in game two. And ultimately, was the final game of that series as they beat South Carolina eight to seven. When you look at the pitchers, you saw some really good things and encouraging things, but man, there were some things that we've seen before, and it's it's a little concerning. So Ty Floyd, he gets to start, and unfortunately for that young man, he just had another inconsistent start as he was his own worst enemy on the day. And it really, to me, just came down to fastball command. His changeup was filthy on the day. I remember several times was he was able to uh, throw a changeup for a strike and throw another one, or throw like a 2-1 changeup, or even struck some guys out in a 3-2 changeup, which is truly impressive. But his fastball command just wasn't there. Floyd, on the day, three innings pitched, one hit, which is the key, right? He's struggling, but he only gives up one hit, four runs, four earned. The key was the four walks that he gave up, and he only had two strikeouts on the day. And you've seen this from the past couple outings with Ty. Uh, in that game against South Carolina, he gives up two runs in the second, and he had a chance to get out of it with two outs. And base is loaded. But he goes, I think he went, he goes walk, walk, he gets an out, a walk, he gets a strikeout, and he's right there, right? Then he goes hit batter hit batter, that's two runs in, then he gives up a double for two more runs. But if you think about it, if he can some way, you can't assume he's going to get the guys that he hit out, but at least if he gives himself a chance, right? If he gives himself a chance for those guys to put the ball in play, maybe somebody makes a play and he gets out of it unscathed, but unfortunately he just couldn't do it. After Floyd pitches, you saw Garrett Edwards came in, and his first inning out the pin was great, but in the fifth, Edwards gets into some trouble with two really soft singles. Then they misplay a bunt as Edwards picks it up in the third baseline and Tommy White started to charge in. Then he tries to backtrack towards third as Edwards had a play at third base because there was men on first and second. So he had the force out of third, but White wasn't covering the base right there. Then Edwards gives up a single for bases loaded. Then he gives up a walk. And when he gives up the walk, he grabs his elbow. And me, I'm sure everybody collectively watching this just kind of gasps, like, oh, no, that looks really bad. He looked to be in a lot of pain. He immediately grabbed his elbow. He comes out the game, and uh, hopefully it's um, not season-ending or uh, anything like that to where he's going to have to have surgery. Hopefully maybe it's just a strain in his elbow, some type of pain to where he can sit out two weeks or two or three weeks, let that inflammation go down, and then he's good to go. But uh, everybody's hoping for the best for Garrett Edwards as he was having a phenomenal year. After Edwards leaves with the injury, Griffin Herring is called upon and the freshman lefty continues to do what he's done really up all season up until this point, especially in sec play, really seen Herring come on strong late. Remember he closed down the Tennessee game, shutting those guys down in the eighth and the ninth. He comes in bases loaded. He gets a double play. So he gives up a run, but then he gives a strikeout. So that thing could have been a mess, just disaster. And South Carolina really could have pulled away with that game, but Herring a fabulous job limiting the damage and giving LSU's bats a chance to get back into the game. After Herring does a great job. So his line on the day was three innings pitch, two hits, two walks, and three Ks. He continues to get better and grow up. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see Herring get a weekend start uh, this upcoming weekend versus Kentucky. You see Coop come on to face, uh, I think it was Gavin Casas, the number two hole hitter, big home run hitter for South Carolina, as he gets him out. Then you see Gavin Guidry come in. And he shows that nasty slider, and he slams the door on South Carolina. Gavin Gidry goes to final one and two thirds allowed one hit, one walk, and three massive Ks, showing off the nasty slider, and yes, showing some dog, some attitude, as he let South Carolina know when he punched that last guy out that LSU was here to play. As he talked a little bit of junk at their dugout, and I'm completely fine with that. I think you're going to see Gavin Gidry maybe move into that Garrett Edwards role, that kind of fireman role where he comes in to get out of jams, as he's shown that he can produce in small increments. And now with some injuries starting to pile up, I think you're going to see Gavin Gidry's role expand. When we look at the hitters from the Friday game, so I went back and I rewatched highlights, and as frustrating as this game was at times for me, and I'm sure for y'all as well, man, in the late innings, the quality at bats, shown by the veterans and the leader on, leaders on this team, were absolutely outstanding. So Mahoney was the starter for South Carolina, and he's dealing into the fourth. And he's talking crap as well. He's telling LSU, you can't mess with me. And I think a bunch of us put that on Twitter. You know, but LSU did start to mess with Mahoney. As Tanks hits a solo shot in the fourth to right field. Not a shocker there. Then Thompson hits a two-run home run after that in the fourth. And he continues to stay locked in on the weekend. But then after that, the bats go completely silent, right? For like four innings, they didn't do anything. South Carolina removes Mahoney. They bring in Veach, the reliever. And this dude threw literally 85% changeups. It was maddening. I put it on Twitter. I thought it was pathetic. I thought they were approaching the plate after the first or time. After you've seen this guy throw probably two innings, you have a good idea that he's literally going to throw all changeups. But else you did not adjust. And it was just super frustrating as Veach shut LSU down for roughly three innings, you know. And it's not until the 8th that LSU gets it going again. Beloso leads off with a walk. JT takes a massive 3-2 walk. And then Joe Bear comes in. First pitch he sees in a pinch hit roll with two outs. Now it's first and second, two outs. Joe Bear's fresh off the bench. Dude hadn't seen a pitch since BP three hours ago. He laces a single into right field, which loads the bases for Gavin Dugas, who once again attacks the first pitch he sees and hits it into the left field bleachers for a grand slam. And Dugas, once again, just like Thompson coming through in the clutch. These dudes got that clutch gene, I swear. And I was going absolutely ballistic in my house watching that game. But then in the ninth, Cruz, I'm going to be honest, he had a bad weekend. He really did absolutely nothing. He had an infield single, and that was it. But in the ninth, he comes through. He works a huge 3-2 walk. And we know how we feel about 3-2 walks here on the 60 feet, 6 inches LSU pod. Most of the time, they come around to score. Tommy Tanks does a good job. Look, he hits a ground ball up the middle, and the pitcher tries to grab it. And it, maybe if it doesn't go off his glove, that may be a double play due to the shift. But anyway, they get Tanks out. Cruz stays at second. Advances to third on a wild pitch. Once again, Beloso, baby. The Creole Bambino. 2-0 and oh count. Infield drawn in. He doesn't try to do too much. All he does is he just laces a single, ground ball single up the middle. He knows all he needs to do is hit a deep fly ball to driving Cruz or something hard up the middle to driving Cruz to get that run. And it was great to see LSU really seize and capitalize off the momentum from the previous inning off the Gavin Dugas Grand Slam to make sure that uh, South Carolina couldn't get anything going in front of their home crowd. And LSU strikes right away to get that run back, and then Guidry slams the door. All right. Now let's move into some things. I got a lot to say about these two games is I did a lot of reflection on the weekend, but I want to do a really quick review of my three keys to the weekend. Sometimes I forget to do this in the live stream or when I have guests, but I thought about my three keys to the weekend. That's what I said on the preview show. One keep South Carolina in the ballpark. LSU didn't do that on Thursday night. They gave up four home runs, but on Friday, South Carolina, zero home runs. So those guys, Floyd, even with his inconsistencies, then you saw Garrett Edwards, Herring, Coop, and Gavin Guidry. No bombs for South Carolina. Check that key right there. LSU, the second key. They needed to have a power surge. I really thought they were going to hit a lot of home runs this weekend. They hit two on Thursday night. They hit three Yeah, three on uh, Friday, and I really thought they were going to hit a couple more if they played that second game or if they played again. I really had them hitting – seven home runs. I think I put my own internal over and under at six and a half. So they were right on that track, especially in that small ballpark. I really thought the power was going to get going this weekend. And we saw signs of that before the series got canceled. And my last key was how would the weather affect the pitching rotation? And it had a massive effect with the lightning delay on Thursday night, nullifying schemes. And then, um, well, obviously the cancellation of the third game, because I was very interested to see Christian Little. So he was scheduled to get the start. I wanted to see how he responded because I don't know if y'all noticed at the end of the second game when Gavin Gidry strikes out the pinch hitter, Caleb Denny, looks at that South Carolina dugout, talks a little bit of smack. The first dude to meet Gavin Gidry as he crosses that line is Christian Little, and he is jacked. And that dude was up next, right? He's getting the ball next. So I really wanted to see how Little responded in that environment in the rubber game with a chance to send LSU back to Baton Rouge taking Two out of three from a top six team. But unfortunately, due to the cancellation, he just didn't get that opportunity. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see Christian Little and Hurd get some innings against Tulane on Tuesday night, much like they did their previous midweek series versus Nichols. All right. What are the three big things that I learned from this weekend? And this may go a long, a long way, and none of this stuff is hot takes, I promise you. But uh, I got a lot to say right here with the three big things. Even though it's only two games, I really think you learned a lot about LSU and um, just just some things I would maybe suggest or like to see moving forward, in my opinion. But obviously, I don't get paid to coach. All right, the first big thing: even when LSU plays bad or not well, they can still beat a top ten team in the country on the road. Here we go. This is how I didn't think they played well at all. When you look at the grand scheme of things, they came back and won. Well, that's great. But when you look at the totality of the two games. LSU did not play well at all. First thing, errors. Thompson commits an error on the first play of the game Thursday night. Kind of give you that weird feeling like what's going to happen? This doesn't look good. Uh, And then that runner eventually comes around to score on the home run by Petri. White and Thompson both commit errors on Friday. Um, Thompson kind of boots the ball at short. And then White misplays the ground ball. Then he had that that brain fart uh, on the bunk coverage right there with Edwards trying to throw the guy out of third. And White wasn't back to the bag. Um, in game one, you score one run through six innings. Now this is on the hitting side of things. So Thursday when Skeens and Sanders went at it and LSU lost that game 13 to five, LSU scored one run through six innings. That's not playing very well. In game two, they fall behind twice, but they show the ability to come back and win the game in the end. When you look at the pitching side of things for the year, they've really been about 63, 65% strikes. When we look at their staff or their game totals, this weekend, 55% strikes for both games. That's not going to get it done. When you look at walks, hit by pitches, those things extend, inning and extend innings and give the other teams a, a chance to score runs without having to put the ball in play. And in the end, against very good teams, that's going to end up getting you beat one game and cost you a game. So that's what I mean when I say they just didn't play well. Between the errors, um, the lack of hits for extended amounts of time throughout the game, and then finally, the uh, lack of strikes that were thrown by the pitching staff as a whole, it just wasn't great. But they still got a split on the road, and we'll take that. They also had a lack of hitting from one through four in the lineup. So this goes back to not playing well. Dugas, Morgan, Cruz, and White. Game one, those four guys, they go one for 11 with three Ks. And LSU get smoked. Not surprising. In game two, Dugas, Morgan, Cruz, and White. Three for 16. Albeit they had two massive home runs. Tommy Tank, solo shot, Gavin Dugas, Grand Slam. If they don't hit that, we're talking about probably losing two games on the road. Three for 16 with two home runs, five RBIs, and five Ks. So, Dugas, Morgan, Cruz, and White. Those two games, they went and combined four for 27. That is 148 batting average. That's putrid. That's really bad. That'll probably never happen again the rest of the year with those four guys. 148 with eight Ks, two home runs, five RBIs. As we mentioned, massive RBIs. Cruz, when you look at his weekend, he was really off to me. And look, it's going to happen. The dude's hitting like 510 right now, but he was hitting like 530. So at some point, baseball is going to get him. He's going to have a bad weekend. Nobody hits like 500 for the whole year, ever unless you're in high school. So to show that LSU can still win a game, to show that Cruz cannot have a great weekend, but somehow he has a mentality to get a ninth inning leadoff walk and eventually come around to score the winning run, I'll take it. So that's what I mean by saying LSU didn't play good, but they found a way to win. So that's one of the things I learned about the Tigers this weekend. It just shows the depth of talent they have and that mentality. I was really wondering how they were going to respond after getting crushed on Thursday night, and they responded really, really well. The second big thing I learned this weekend, this is kind of twofold. I don't think LSU's hitters, they don't really adjust their plan of approach quick enough, in my opinion. And I also think the lineup needs an overhaul. Stay with me on this. I got some numbers that are going to back up my points. So here's an example. I really seem to notice they don't adjust very well when you look at the relievers that come in, and especially when you have relievers that rely heavily or exclusively on one pitch, whether that's a slider. But this weekend, it was Veach with his changeup, okay? Anytime guys throw like 80% sliders or changeups, to me, I always think they're going to have some type of meeting in the dugout, or Jay is going to talk to these guys and say, look, let's just sit on that one pitch till we get two strikes, and then from there we can look for the fastball. But until then, don't even worry about the fastball, whatever else he has, because I saw Veach throw like 13 changeups in a row to like three batters, and we just kept swinging through them, swinging through them, and they couldn't slow their bats down enough to let it travel and let it get there. And it was infuriating watching that happen Is this guy's just dealing, just throwing slop up there, pitch after pitch. And I think at some point, like I said, I think that's going to cost those guys a game. I'd imagine there's some type of approach or some type of talk that's going on in the dugout. Obviously, I'm not privy to that. But I think that just needs to happen sooner, really especially against relievers. And I'm not saying that if they, you see a reliever for one inning, but Veach was in there for three right? He probably went through 10 to 12 batters. So LSU just got to adjust sooner on that. Also, the lineup, I think it needs an overhaul. Here we go. Listen to me. Let's talk about the freshman in SEC play. I'm specifically talking about Brady Neal, Paxton Kling, and Jared Jones. So after the Friday game, I decided to run some of the numbers, and I think there should be a lineup change for Kentucky. So just hear me out. Brady Neal, Okay, so we're looking at the SEC series. So Texas A&M, Arkansas, Tennessee, South Carolina. I realize those are the four best teams we're going to play. Those are all four top twenty-five teams. I get it. They got the hardest teams out there. Before conference play started, Brady Neal was hitting two fifty-seven. He is currently hitting two oh nine. Brady Neal is now second on the team in strikeouts. In SEC play, Brady Neal has gone five for thirty-two. That is one fifty-six. He has 13 Ks and six walks. He has won for his last 15 with 10 Ks. Now, before conference play, those numbers were flipped. He walked more than he struck out. And you've seen those strikeups really build up in the Tennessee and the South Carolina series. So he's got power. He had a home run off of Chase Burns. He does a good job behind the plate. I think he's got a great mentality. I think he's starting to scuffle or the book may be out on him and it's getting around to other SEC teams. But 156 in SEC play is just not going to cut it. Let's move on to Paxton Kling. He was hitting 425 before conference play started. Right now he's hitting 324. So his average just dropped 100 points, and Neal's average just dropped 50 points. Kling in SEC play, 3 for 22, which is 136, with 11 Ks. So Neal's hitting 156 in conference play, Kling is hitting 136 in conference play. The outlier is Jared Jones, and this shocked me. Before conference play, Jared Jones was hitting 340. He is currently hitting 352, so his average has gone up after seeing some of those elite arms, which is crazy. He does lead the team in strikeouts, so he leads the team in strikeouts followed by Neal. That's in the totality of the year. Jones is 12 for 35 in SEC play, which is 343. He does have 14 Ks. But it's very impressive to see his average increase in those four SEC series. Now let's take a look at some of the vets that have been rotated in, that have kind of been used in late innings as a pinch hit. And you've seen some of these guys play a little more often than not lately. And I'm talking about Pearson, Beloso, and Jobert. Pearson is 8 for 35 in SEC play, 229 in 7Ks. He just hasn't been able to get it going consistently throughout those four series. Beloso did not play in the Texas A&M series, but Cade is hitting 8 for 26, which is 308, with 4Ks, and he's had some massive hits in those eight hits. Joe Bear also did not play in the Texas A&M series. He is hitting 6 for 18. Which is 333 in SEC play with six Ks. Get this, I didn't I didn't realize this till I just right before I went on the pod. I did a little more research. Joe Bear was hitting 250 right before conference play started. So right after the UNO game, 250. He is currently hitting 288. And don't forget, Joe Bear hit 18 home runs last year. This year he's got four. This is my point. I would make a lineup change versus Kentucky after looking at these numbers. I granted the caveat is these freshmen played some of the best pitching staffs in the country, the toughest teams on our schedule. And when you think about who else you has coming up, some of the bottom feeders, especially in the sec East, when you're looking at Bama state, Auburn and Ole miss, really bad pitching staffs. And you got Georgia at the very end, one of the worst pitching staffs in the conference, you would think the freshmen's numbers should improve and they probably would, but I would argue this is a perfect time to insert proven veteran players who also have the ability to go berserk against these bad pitching staffs as well. I would also insert Milazzo into the starting lineup this weekend and give him a chance. Let Neil relax. Let him settle down. Let's see if some spot duty, some pinch hit duty, maybe if a uh, Malazzo is struggling or it's late in the game, then you can put Neil up there with no pressure on him. He just seems to be pressing right now. He's too good of a hitter to be going one for 15 with 10 Ks. That is not Brady Neal. Okay, so I think he's just scuffling and he's probably getting in his head a little bit. Let him relax. I would put Malazzo in there. Milazzo's done some really good things. He's hitting above 300, um, 393 to be exact. You know, he can punt, he can do some things at the bottom of the order as well. And um, I would give him a shot this weekend versus Kentucky. I still think you keep Jared Jones in the lineup in some form or fashion. I'm not going to go through all the different scenarios, but obviously you can rotate others and move people around where you need them. But Beloso definitely stays for me. So I think you got Beloso and Jones that stay. You can put him at first. You can put him at DH. uh, Stick Morgan out in left field. Um, If for some reason one of those guys is scuffling, it's not a bad matchup, then put Morgan first, and you put Joe Bear and Pearson in the outfield, and you're good to go. Kling is still there if you need a defensive replacement or um, maybe a right-handed stick with a left-handed reliever, since all those guys I just mentioned are left-handed. Kling can go in there. He plays great defense in the outfield. He's good at... He's got a great arm. So it's not like those guys are on the outside looking in, but I think it's his time to give the vets a chance that they have proven their ability in looking at SEC play and coming up clutch this past weekend. That's what I would do, in my humble opinion, here on 60 feet, 6 inches, LSU pod. I doubt Jay Johnson, those guys, listen to the podcast. Also, we know, too, think about Joe Bear. When that dude gets hot, he gets white hot, right? You can see that guy hit four home runs in a weekend. Just got to give him a chance to get in there, get confident, and let him see some bad pitching and let this dude go off. And you just never know where he'll end up or what will happen to this team when you make that adjustment. The last big thing that I learned is the pitching depth is being tested. Right, That's a no-brainer to anybody that's paid attention to this team and after seeing what happened this weekend. And there are several reasons for that. Right, The first one is injuries. So LSU lost Newt, Appleby, and Taylor before the season started. Currently have Nate Ackenhausen on the shelf for the hamstring. Chase Shores. We don't know what's going to happen with him. I have a feeling, unfortunately, it may be long-term. I have no type of inside information. That's just a feeling I get. And then, obviously, Garrett Edwards, who just got hurt this past weekend. we just hope it's not long-term with him. So, let's break the pitching staff down. Your starters. You have Skeens. Floyd is starting right now. Let's leave him in that spot. Then you got Little and Hurt. Let's just leave it as it is. So you got those four guys. But when you look at the pin, you got Griffin Herring, Gavin Gidry, Cooper, and Collins, who's starting to turn things around. But then you have guys, in my opinion, that you've seen a lot in the midweek, but they're really kind of one or two innings at most SEC guys to me, in my opinion. And that is Dutton, Money, Buckham, who's a freshman, and then Helmers. So the pin is getting really thin. And then if you slide Herring into a starter role, then obviously somebody's got to bounce into to the pin, whether that's Floyd, Hurd, or Little, somebody like that. And you also take a lefty out until Nate Ackenhausen gets healthy. Also, the depth is being tested not only by injuries, but the inconsistent second and third starting roles or, or starting opportunities that we've seen throughout the year. Floyd and Hurd have still been a little inconsistent, But we don't know what Christian Little is going to bring to the table. That's why I'm so excited to see him pitch game three. And then it almost feels like we're heading towards, unless some guys can turn things around or Herring jumps in there and he provides some consistency in a two or three starting role, it just feels like we're heading towards 2022 again, right, to where we saw the Saturday and Sunday starters go three to four innings at most, and it was just a pin game. And I don't think right now, unless some guys get healthy, AKA Nate Ackenhausen really need him back. And hopefully Edwards, maybe it's not a long-term injury. I just don't know if they have the depth or the arms right now to go pin game Saturday and Sunday to where you're dividing, you know, six innings up uh, between three to four guys. And you have to do that again on Sunday. I just don't want to see a replay of that. Obviously I know Jay and Wes Johnson don't want to see that happen, but we really need to see uh, the second and third starters step up. So that's why pitching depth is being tested. So there you have it right there, the three big things that I learned from this weekend. All right, really quickly, how did I do on my get right, stay right list? I know it was only two games, but so we're going to take a, take a look at that list anyway. It's only fair, right? i got to hold myself accountable. Get right. I had Beloso. That's a hit, baby. The Creole Bambino was definitely hot in Colombia. Cade goes three for seven with a home run on the weekend. Uh, home run was on Thursday. He had the game winning hit, the game winning RBI on Friday to prepare, uh, propel, excuse me, LSU to that victory over South Carolina. Peloso was a hit. I had Pearson on the get right list. That was a miss for me. JP goes 0 for 4 on the weekend. Christian Little, that's a push because we didn't get a chance to see him pitch in game three, which was canceled. Stay right, Trey Morgan. That's a miss for me. Trey was 1 for 8 on the weekend with 3 Ks, and it's very odd to see him K that much. Um, I saw a stat that I didn't get a chance to put in the preview, but he was actually the hardest person to strike out in the SEC. I think he only struck out like once every 11 ABs. So uh, not quite in the top 50 in the country, but um, leading the SEC in that category. But unfortunately, you saw him struggle a little bit this weekend. So that was a miss on the stay right with Trey Morgan. Griffin Herring, that's a hit for me, as Herring definitely uh, stayed right. So three innings pitch, two hits, two walks, three Ks, limited the damage as we discussed the, discussed earlier. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see him get a shot at a weekend starting role uh, versus Kentucky. And it's a good time, right? Kentucky just lost two out of three against Georgia. And then you let him start at home where he's comfortable. He gets to sleep in his own bed. He knows the bullpen mound. He knows the game mound. The home crowd's got his back. Just a good place for him to feel comfortable and hopefully relax a little bit if he does make his first SEC start. And then finally, on the stay-right list, Ty Floyd. That was a miss for me as he struggled with inconsistency again. And um, I still think I'm still a huge Ty Floyd fan. And I think for LSU to advance out of the regionals into the Supers, hopefully to Omaha, they need Ty Floyd to be a dude. And he has the stuff to be a dude. He's just going through some things right now. All right, let's go over the SEC rundown. How'd the rest of the conference do this weekend? Florida takes two out of three at Tennessee. Tennessee crushes them in the third game. But Florida absolutely blast the Vols in some gross, ugly, rainy weather in Knoxville. So I got that one wrong. I thought Tennessee would take the series. Vandy takes two out of three in some close games in Columbia against Mizzou. That was a hit for me. A&M goes on the road and takes two out of three for Auburn. That was a miss. I thought Auburn would take that series at home. Arkansas takes two out of three from Ole Miss in Oxford. I got that one right and. Coach Bianco's team continues to struggle. Mississippi State wins their first series of the year. Your boy got that one right as they beat Bama. They maybe start to turn some things around in Starkville. And then finally, Kentucky and Georgia. Just check the scores. Georgia takes two out of three from Kentucky. Maybe taking off a little bit of that shine with a potential top ten matchup as they head to Baton Rouge on the weekend. That's going to do it for this week's review of the LSU versus South Carolina series this weekend as Columbia, as those teams split. I want to thank AJ Sessions who came on the preview episode and he is part of the college baseball central uh, podcast and the weekend rotation podcast as well. Check out his stuff. They do a great job covering college baseball around the country. He provided some great insight into South Carolina. As always, thank y'all for tuning in reminder, subscribe to the YouTube channel Leave me some comments. I try to always reply to those. Uh, Follow me on Twitter. Hit that notifications bell. I try to reply to as many comments on Twitter as possible. As a reminder, the Twitter account is at 60FT6INLSUPOD. It's always available. Apple, Google, Spotify, all the other major audio platforms. Next up, LSU travels to New Orleans to take on Tulane Tuesday night. Then they return to Baton Rouge to face Kentucky. It is another Thursday, Friday, Saturday series versus the Wildcats. Therefore, be on the lookout for the Kentucky Preview Podcast, which will drop Wednesday morning. So you have plenty of time to get ready for Kentucky all day Wednesday, all day Thursday before you head out to the box. Check out the Preview Pod dropping Wednesday morning. So until next time, y'all stay safe, and as always, Go Tigers!